My name is Raymond Aaron. I'm a New York Times top 10 bestselling author, and I've written eight books, several of them you've actually heard of. One is Chicken Soup for the Parent Soul, New York Times top 10 bestseller, Chicken Soup for the Canadian Soul, which was the number one bestselling nonfiction book in Canada every week for six months after it was out. My most recent one is Branding Small Business for Dummies, about the wisdom that I've created on the concept of branding small businesses, but I've decided not to allow that to be sold to the general public. The book before that was my only hardcover bestseller, Double Your Income, Doing What You Love. Welcome to Please Finish Your Book, the show where busy people became published authors. Listen as they share their story, along with practical tips that you can use to get your book finished. Now, here's your host, who claims he can type 100 words per minute if he wanted to, John P. Thank you, Erica, and thank you, authors and soon-to-be published authors, for listening, rating, reviewing, sharing, and subscribing to this show. For those who haven't yet shared this show, please do so. I know that you know others who are busy and would benefit from hearing the journey and advice from busy people who became published authors. Thank you in advance for sharing the show with others. Yes, if I really wanted to type 100 words per minute, I could. Why do I think that? Well, because I've done it before. Remember in episode 001 when I mentioned that my mom loved to type? Well, that rubbed off on me. By the age of 16, I was able to type 50 words per minute on her typewriter. When I was 22 years old, I can remember the moment during my Marine Corps tour in the Saudi Arabia desert at the Gulf War when I hit 75 words per minute. I set a goal after that to hit 100 words per minute, and it took close to 10 years before I finally did it. But I probably would have reached it sooner if I had heard the advice of my next guest. He's a New York Times top 10 best-selling author. He's known around the world as a thought leader and a success coach. He's one of the most sought after speakers in the world, and he's committed his life to teaching others how to dramatically change their lives for the better. Please listen closely as Raymond Aaron shares his advice about goals, which is found in the book we'll be discussing, along with his story, experience and advice on finishing a book. So double your income doing what you love. Give us a short synopsis of what that book is about. It's about the 21 secrets that I know of how to write a goal down so that it achieves itself automatically. And my definition of automatically is without any apparent effort on your own part. Because when you struggle and effort at achieving a goal, then you have to push lots of molecules around in the physical universe. But when you use the spiritual principles, then goals appear to achieve themselves, and then it just sounds automatical. It just seems hard for people to believe because most people, especially people whose income is lower, are stuck solidly in the physical universe. The people who make all the money in the world are the people who live to a large extent in the spiritual universe. So, for example, the average U.S. income per worker is 40,000 U.S. dollars a year. Well, I earn that every few days. And wow. so how can I possibly, let's say it's every three days. So let's say I... I earn 100 times more than the average American. Wow. Well, if the average American works eight hours a day, I can't work 800 hours a day. So if I tried to make that income in the physical universe, I can't move molecules around that fast. I I can't do it. It's not possible. Mm. So every wealthy person I know 
creates their success by first coming from the spiritual universe, using the laws of the spiritual universe in order to create physical things in the physical universe. Wow. I think I got it. Why did you write this book? Well, the reason I wrote Double Your Income, Doing What You Love, is to help the people of the world achieve their dream. Every person has a dream. I don't care how burdened down they are by illness, by divorce, by lawsuit, by criminal charges. I don't care. They, no matter how bad the person is, they have a dream. They might have a dream for their children. They might have a dream to recover their health. They might have a dream to change the world, change, save the spotted owls, whatever the heck their dream is, they have a dream. Mm -hmm. And most people lead lives of quiet desperation. They just don't achieve their goals, and so they give up. They think that goals are not achievable or that only people on stage say they achieve goals, but they really don't. Like I'm not sure what they believe, but they certainly don't have the lightness of thought that I have and that all other wealthy people have. And so I wanted to write a book that would explain to people what those 21 magical elements are that allow you to have your goals achieve themselves. Is there a favorite section of the book that stands out for you? Well, yes. I'll tell you one of the 21 secrets. Great. Thank you. Okay. So if I asked you to set a goal, you would say, uh, I want to earn a million dollars this year. Or you'd say something like that. And that's what I call the dreaded binary goal. Because if you achieve it, you feel good. And if you don't earn a million dollars this year, then you feel bad. That's a binary goal. Either you get it or you don't get it. It's on or off, black or white. It's easy. The problem is that you only write goals in things you're not good at. You would never write a goal in something you are good at. Hmm. If you get up every morning and jog, every single morning, you would never write a goal, I'm going to get up every morning and jog, because you already do it. But if you wished you could meditate, and you never get around to it, then you might write a goal to meditate every morning this month. So you only write goals in what you're lousy at, which means mm -hmm. you're predisposed to getting zero and not one. You're predisposed to not <laughs> achieving your goal <laughs> instead of achieving it because wow. you only choose a goal in an area that you're incompetent at. Like I would never write a goal. I want to give a speech at New Peaks because I give a speech at New Peaks every few weeks. Got it. But I might write a goal to have a better relationship with my daughter or something mm -hmm. like that. Like I, oh, I choose things that I'm not good at. And so does everybody. And so if you're going to be inclined to choose goals and what you're not good at, then you're inclined not to achieve your goals. And then anytime you do something that you're not good at and that you fail, you'll stop doing it. So I've come up a, with a way that allows you to achieve your goals every single time so that you always feel good no matter what. And it, of course, it's not binary. And it's called MTO. M-T-O. M-T-O. And it stands for Minimum Target Outrageous. Huh. So if you, if I was coaching you, right, and you said, I want to earn a million dollars this year, I'd say, okay, let's MTO that goal. Okay. So you say, well, what does that mean? And I'd say, minimum means what you can be counted on to do based on your past performance, what you can be counted on to do based on your past performance. Okay. So I would say to you, how much did you earn last year? What's the average for the last few years? And you'd say, 100,000 a year. Mm -hmm. I'd say, okay, so your minimum is 100,000. It's not 3 million or 500,000, it's 100,000. Okay. That's what you can be counted on to do. Okay, got it. Your target is a stretch. It's what you're not sure you can do. Okay. So maybe there's been a couple years where you've earned 150. Okay. And so you say, okay, my target is 160. 
Okay, good. Mm-hmm. It's it's more than you've ever done. It's a stretch, and right. you hope to do it, but you don't right. know if you can. Okay. And then the outrageous might be a quarter million. Here's what happens: you're two or three months into the year, and you had a couple good deals, and mm-hmm. you say, "I'm way over fifty thousand dollars in half the year. I- I'm going to achieve my minimum this year." Mm-hmm. I'm and then you look up, what's your target? Target's 160. Gee, I'm a little behind 160. I think I can go for it. And so you have something to aim for. I call you at the end of the year and say, hi, friend, how did you do? And you say, 111,000. I say, bravo, you hit your minimum. You achieved your goal. Congratulations. How do you feel? Yay, yay, I did it. And then here's what's interesting. Next year, when you MTO, right. Your minimum's not 100 any longer. Your minimum's 110. Because yes. now you know how to do 110. Right, right. And so maybe your target's still 160 or maybe it's 170. Mm-hmm. And so each year you get better and better and better because you were a success. Whereas if you said, I want to earn a million and you're in 110, you say, oh, I failed again. And so my triumvirate, my way of breaking goals into three MTO means you always feel good because you always hit your minimum. You sometimes hit your target and you occasionally hit your outrageous. So you're ecstatic. And so my clients are happy to ecstatic. Whereas everyone else who writes a goal, 80%, they feel dejected because they're a failure. That's one of my 21 secrets. Nice. I know. It's huge. My wife and I talk that way. My daughter and I talk that way. All my staff and I talk that way. Is there anyone else in your circle of influence? There's no one who doesn't talk that way. I won't talk with anyone who won't talk MTO. If I call up the, the person in charge of an event that I'm speaking at and I say, how many people do you think will be there? They'll say 200. And that, cause that's the way people talk. It's binary. Maybe there will be 200. Maybe there won't be 200. So I'll, I'll prompt them. I'll say, well, what's the minimum? Oh, minimum is 150. And what do you think the outrageous? Oh, outrageous 300. Mm. So it's like 100 to 200 to 300. Yeah. yeah. And now I know because I have to talk to my shipping clerk and I have to say to her, I'm going to be speaking to 200 people, but maybe it's only 100, but maybe it's 300. Mm. She needs that information in order to yes. ship correctly. Because if I say to her 200 and she doesn't know whether that's the outrageous or the minimum, she has no idea what to ship. Thank that's, you. That's one. Or the that's one. <laughs> if that's just one, I can just imagine. I, actually, I can't imagine what the others are like. This is John P. Have you shared the show yet? Not yet? Oh, I get it. You're waiting for instructions. Well, if you're listening to this show using your mobile device, there's a way to share. If you're on an iPhone or an iPad, press the three dots or the rectangular box with the arrow pointing upwards. Or if you're using an Android with the Stitcher app, there's a V pointing to the left with the mouth opened to the right. Press it to get the options for sharing. Any other app should have something similar. If you're listening from the website at pleasefinishyourbook.com, you should see the social media icons that you can click on to share with others. So please share the show. You don't want to keep all of this information to yourself, do you? You could be that person that shares the show with the person who really needed to hear the inspiration. Then after they finish their book, They'll thank you for your kindness and your gesture of sharing the show with them. So thanks again in advance for sharing the show. Now, back to the show. We want to find out a little bit more about you. What one thing stands out about your childhood? I grew up in Toronto, Canada. I'm a Canadian. I was uh, short, fat, dressed sloppily, was completely socially unaware. I didn't have a, I think my first date, I was 17 years old. Oh, wow. I was a math nerd. And nobody wants to be a nerd. I got like 
100% on every math and physics and chemistry exam <laughs> I ever wrote. But I couldn't talk to people, especially not yeah. girls. Yeah. And so I never got invited to parties. I was socially awkward, as most mathematicians are. Mm-hmm. I failed in most things. I, I excelled in physics, so I graduated as a physicist. My IQ was so high, I got admitted to Mensa, the top 2% wow. IQ in the entire world. Thanks. But by the time I was 39 years old, I was $100,000 in debt. My wife had just dumped me. My boss had just fired me. Uh, and I was 50 pounds overweight because I wasn't doing anything right. I couldn't figure out anything except physics, which uh, wasn't helping me much in life. And then I wrote a book and it completely changed my life. Whoa. And my I got out of $100,000 of debt in one year. And then the next year I became a millionaire and I've never looked back. That's the wow. story of my life. Wow. In 60 seconds. As you were in high school, was there anything specific that you thought you were going to be or that you wanted to be before you left? Yeah, I thought I was going to be a mathematician. Okay. And I graduated in mathematics and physics. Okay. But I never wanted to work in that field. I just studied it because I didn't think very clearly. And because I got great marks in math and physics, I studied math and physics. I graduated with first class honors, but of no value. Like it, mm. I didn't want to be a physics teacher or a math teacher. And mm-hmm. so I, once I once I finished school, I was lost. I didn't know what on earth to do. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason probably that I gained weight and uh, didn't do a good job at work. I didn't know where I was going in my life. So before you turned 39 and after school, what did you find yourself spending the most time doing? What what career? I started doing? lots of businesses and they all failed. Wow. I, I started a sports car importing company. Mm-hmm. I ran a soft drink company. I was a private eye. I ran a, a software company. I ran a chain of women's weight reducing salons. I ran a cosmetics distribution company. Wow. And I failed in all of them, all of them. I failed in everything because I had no mentor. I had no coach. I I didn't know what on earth I was doing. I see. I was applying goofy principles to my life. I didn't know how to run a business. I was just lost. I was failing in everything. My my debt was rising. I didn't know what I was doing wrong. And finally, at age 39, I got a coach and he told me, write a book to get branded and start figuring out what you really want to do in your life. And it came to me that I wanted to teach. But then I, I said, no, God, that's a bad idea. I don't care if God wants me to teach. I don't want to teach math. I don't want to teach physics. Mm-hmm. And I thought the only thing that was teachable was mm-hmm. math and physics. I know right. it sounds silly to you, but that's all mm-hmm. I knew. That's got all it, I knew. To it. this day, I'm 71 years old, and I still play math games. Oh. And my my friends email me really tough math problems, and <laughs> we solve them. <laughs> Is that right? Honest to God. <laughs> to this what? day, I do it as a hobby. Right, right, right. At age 39, I finally figured out that I could teach something besides physics. And it was life and business and branding. And when that came to me, my income soared up to the millions. My happiness level skyrocketed. I lost weight. I got fit. Wow. Everything worked. It was, it was quite a wild change in my life that I could have never predicted. That change that happened. How, how deep were you into that hardship where right before it switched? I was mad because. I'm really smart, and all my super smart physics friends were physics professors at universities, and they were all broke. Uh, And all my stupid friends who dropped out of school were running businesses, and they were all rich. And I was smart, therefore I should be rich, but I wasn't. Uh And I'm smart, therefore I should figure out how my stupid friends got rich, and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure anything out. And I would say to myself, I would pretend I was videotaping myself. And I would say, I'm brushing my teeth. Well, everybody brushes their teeth. I'm getting into my car. 
I'm turning on the ignition. That's what everybody's doing. Right, right. I'm going on a date. That's what guys do. Yeah. And at the end of the year, my debt was higher uh, and my stupid friends were richer. I say, like, what am I? Don't they turn on the ignition when they get in their car? Don't they go on dates? What, what am I doing wrong? What is it? I couldn't figure it out. I was so mad because it was my life. Like yes. right now, I'm just doing an interview for you. Right, right, right. right. Maybe it'll be a good interview. Maybe it won't. Great maybe interview. lots of people will listen to it. Maybe they won't. Right, right, right. But it's just an interview. Yeah. And we're looking back at hardships of the past. Right. And so we're sitting comfortably in a chair and so mm-hmm. big deal. Yeah. But I was inside it. At age 39, I was so low I figured by age 49, I'd be even lower because that was my trajectory. It was straight downward. And so why would I want to live another year if it means more hardship and greater debt? But my stupid friends were getting richer. Wow. I couldn't figure it out. That's where I was. It was not fun. It was not. And I didn't know how to get out of it. Before that, there had to have been something that you were proud of or at least a unique talent. When I was in university, Mm -hmm. there were two guys who unicycled by me. And I screamed at them to stop because I'd never seen a unicycle outside of a circus. And they said that they belonged to the University of Toronto Unicycle Club. I said, get out. There's a whole club. They said, yeah, we're the only two members. And I tried to get up on that thing. It's like it's like sitting on a broom. Mm. It doesn't help. It doesn't. There's no handlebars. There's no nothing. Uh-huh. And I all my life wanted to ride a unicycle. And one day I asked my executive assistant, book me a unicycle lesson. And I ran out of the room before she could say it's not her job description. And she booked me a unicycle lesson. And I spent one year falling over 1,000 times until I finally got it. And I can now ride a unicycle. Whoa. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) And I'm such a jerk, man. I don't know what's in me. But the day I finally got up and stayed up, I said, I wonder if I could ride a giraffe unicycle. That's the five-foot tall one. Oh. Yeah, like you see in circus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can do that now, too. Wow. Yeah. And I (laughs) have always done goofy things. One of the things that I did (laughs) as soon as I got my degree in my hand from university, Uh I went to the dean of math, and I said, you do a lousy job teaching calculus. He says, you know what? I agree with you. Really? And so Mm -hmm. he said, what are your proposals? What are your suggestions? So I started telling him, and he said, I like those. Why don't you go away and write some down. We'll meet again in a month. Mm -hmm. I came back with like 20 pages of notes. He said, it's really good. Why don't you write a book? Write a book. On what? Write a book on calculus. And so I spent Uh. the first year out of university every evening and every weekend writing a calculus textbook. And I came back to the dean of math a year later. I showed him my manuscript Mm -hmm. and he sat there for three hours flipping pages, solving some of the problems himself looking in the back to see what my answers were. And he looked up after three hours and said, this book is compulsory at the University of Toronto. So I was not only a published Whoa. author when I was 19, oh, man. but I Look was at compulsory that. at the University of Toronto oh, for wow. all freshman calculus students. It was called a programmed <laughs> instruction course in the techniques of calculus. That's impressive. That's a mouthful. That, yeah, yeah that's so impressive. I've had successes. Wow. And I had failures. I had a couple of disastrous marriages, but I figured it out when I was 39, or at least my coach helped me figure it out. Mm -hmm. And since then, I have the most spectacular marriage. I have my calling. I teach people around the world. I, I I can't go anywhere in the world now, even a country I've never been to. I can't go anywhere in the world 
stand up in front of the audience and say, put up your hand if you've ever heard me speak before, and there'll be someone in the audience who's heard me speak. Mm. Even if I'm in mm. Portugal, even if I'm in Fiji, even right. if I'm in Singapore, right. like my very first time in those yeah. countries, there'll be somebody. So I was nice. on a webinar with you, or nice. I used to live in the United States, but now I live in Thailand. And nice. I'll say in Phuket, Thailand, I have a client. It's crazy. Because <laughs> I've been doing this for 33 years now. Nice. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and getting deep with us, sharing that about yourself. Before we leave this segment and transition into the mindset that you had when you were writing the book, which book do you wish you were the author of? Or which book that someone else wrote? Yes, that someone else wrote that you wish, hey, you know, I should have wrote that book. Wow. I've been interviewed for 33 years. Mm hmm. I've never been stuck for words in 33 years. <laughs> I am now, you can't see it in the audio, but I am now shaking this wonderful man's hand. You stuck me for words, man. Wow. Well, I can give you a cheap answer. Okay. That's and that is, fine. I wish that I would have written my friend Jack Canfield's Chicken Soup books ah. or my friend Dr. John Gray's Men Men Mars Venus books, yes, yes. but only for financial reasons. Got it. That, Got that's it. a cheap answer. <laughs> okay. I know you want the spiritual answer. <laughs> and there is a book that is my Bible. Ah. And it is, this is the book I go to in times of special events, like okay. when I get married, when someone else gets married, when someone close to me dies. And the book is The Prophet. Oh. Spelled the other way, the prophet by guru. P yes. P R O P H E T. Got it. Not a money prophet. Gotcha. But a guru prophet. Mm -hmm. And it's by Khalil Gibran. Uh, it's a brown. Is it a brown? Oh my thin God! Book? Yes, it is. Yes, I know the book. And hardcover. It's, yes. It, it's this wise man, like a Gandhi mm -hmm. or a, a Dalai Lama kind of person. Yes. Who wanders from town to town, and the townspeople, when he enters their town, say. Speak to us of love. Speak to us of children. And he speaks for two pages, and I read each one, and I cry, even though I've read them so many times. Wow. It's just, it's the most, it, the, it's the deepest book that I know, the very wow. deepest. When my dad died, I, I read the book at his eulogy. Not the book. I read the chapter on death, and I just gotcha. bawled my eyes out in the last mm. three lines. It's a very important book to me. And that's if I could be wise enough to have written that book. Yeah. Apparently, he wrote it and carried it with him for 19 years Whoa. to make sure he got every word perfect because it's a poem. Every In a poem, every word is important, every syllable. Yes, you yes. can't throw a few extra right. syllables into a line. Right, right, right. It's right, got to right. be, it's yes. gotta be so elegant. Yes. And I wish... I could have written that uh, book. Oh, man! Wow. <laughs> man, I wish I would have written that book. Thank you for sharing that. Can I get a high five for that? Oh, awesome. man. I have never, <laughs> wow. never been stuck for words, ever. Thank you. You got me. You stuck me for words. <laughs> wow. 33 years of talking too much, and you shut me up. <laughs> All right. All right. Hello, this is John P. On my long daily commutes in Los Angeles traffic, sometimes up to three hours a day, I listen to podcasts and audiobooks. Audible provides over 180,000 audiobook programs, and I've been using them since the year 2000. That was before they became an Amazon company, before smartphones. I used to listen to the books on an MP3 player or on CDs that Audible allowed us to burn into books. Now I listen to the books on my smartphone using the Audible app. 
you can do the same thing or you can listen straight from your computer. Remember when Raymond mentioned that he had wished he had written the book, The Prophet by Cahill Gabran? Well, you can get that audible book for free. You can also get the audio version of Raymond's book, Double Your Income Doing What You Love for free. When you start your 30 day trial at pleasefinishyourbook.com slash free audiobook or just go to pleasefinishyourbook.com and click the Audible logo on my webpage to get started. Now, back to the show. Double your income, doing what you love. You got it. What led up to that book idea? I was giving a speech at a big event. It was a Donald Trump Learning Alex okay. Learning Annex event in New York City at the Jacobs Javits Center. There was about 30 fabulous speakers. I was one of them. Mm. And there were breakout rooms. And there was main stage and... Donald Trump was the last speaker, and Tony Robbins was the first speaker. It was a great weekend. Somebody came up to me, David Pugh from John Wiley and & Sons, and said, I'm here with my assistant. We've listened to every single one of the 30 speakers. We've decided to offer a book contract to the best speaker, and you're it. I said, thanks, but I, I don't have, I'm not writing a book. I, right. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. He said, well, write one, because I've just agreed to publish it. <laughs> and I knew a lot about helping people write goals. Write, not write goals. No one wants to write a goal. Okay. Achieving goals. Okay. And they said, fine, write it, we'll publish it. And then when we got near the finish line and they were about to publish it, they said, you know what? Achieving goals is a sucky title. That It wasn't yeah. exciting. And so yeah. we changed it to double your income, doing what you love. And that's what they liked. That's what we published. How busy or distracted were you during that period while you were trying to finish that particular book? You know, there's a famous quote, a very courageous wealthy man was asked, why do you always choose the tough road? And his answer was, why do you assume I see two roads? And when you say, did you get distracted? Mm -hmm. You're making the assumption that I see two different things Mm -hmm. and I have to kind of force myself to do the thing I want. When I'm writing a book, man, I'm writing a book. When I'm creating a PowerPoint presentation, that's what I'm doing. Actually flying from uh, Toronto to Los Angeles yesterday, I have a chore to to develop a new presentation. And I opened up my computer when we took off and I'm typing away and I'm designing it and I'm shortening this and colorizing that and putting a funny cartoon in here to amplify my point. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on this and doing that. Oh, I should move this slide later and this mm-hmm. slide earlier. And I'm working and working. And the flight attendant comes by and says, excuse me, Mr. Aaron, please shut your computer. Why? Mm-hmm. Right? We just started. Mm-hmm. She said, no, you haven't moved for five and a half hours. <laughs> I asked you three times if you wanted something to drink. You wow. missed the meal. Wow. Nothing. You missed dessert. You missed cookies. A sitting in business class. Yeah. They, they treat you well. I didn't hear her. I, I was creating my presentation. Man. Nice. nice. I, I didn't see her. I didn't hear her. It's focus. I, and not because I'm good wow. at focusing, just because when I do what I came here to do, that's all there is, man. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm running a marathon, I don't yeah. say, you know, there's a restaurant I've always wanted to go to. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm visualizing the finish line, man, and I'm getting yeah, a stride yeah. closer every one and a half seconds, and that's it. <laughs> Since there's more than just an hour, two, three hours to finish a book, what activity did you do to take a break from this particular book? Just kind of get away clear your mind and say, okay, I'm done with the focus for that time period. I need to do something else and I'll come back to it. That's not how I organize my life. I don't like do tough work and then have to take a break. Mm -hmm. That's not how I do. Mm -hmm. I think the concept 
of needing a break Mm -hmm. comes from not enjoying your job. When I speak to an employee, they can't wait to retire. When I speak to an employee, they can't wait to win a million dollars in the lottery so they can start doing nothing. Mm -hmm. But when I speak to my wealthy friends, Mm -hmm. are you kidding? They they don't want to do nothing. Broke people want to do nothing. Rich people want to do a lot. They want to do more and more and more. Not because they're money grabbing. because, uh, Because Bill Gates hasn't worked for money for a long time. He runs his charity. Right. Sir Richard Branson doesn't run another company so he can get richer. Hmm. He's already worth seven billion pounds. He couldn't spend that in 19 generations. So the money's not even a scorecard of, of how well he's doing. Hmm. It's just so much fun for him. I have fun making a presentation. I have fun writing a book. I have fun going to a movie with my wife. I have fun teaching my daughter. I, I, I love all of them. I don't say, oh my gosh, do I have to do this again? Well, okay, I'll do it for an hour, but then I'll take a break. I don't do that at all. I I play a math game. It takes about a half an hour of tense concentration. And then I'll work. And then I'll watch a movie. And then I'll hop on an airplane. And each thing I do, I love it. Mm. I don't actually take breaks from it. The title. Was that the first title that no. came? No. What? No, that's rarely the case. So, for example, you know Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek? Mm-hmm. His working title was something goofy like 30 Productivity Enhancements or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But he never intended to call it that. Mm-hmm. It was just a working title. And then he did some Google AdWords campaigns to see which title people would actually resonate with. Right. And he found out that the 4-Hour Workweek was the most sought-after title. People clicked on that more than the others. Um, people clicked on four hours more than two hours, more than mm-hmm. seven hours, more than 19 hours, more than half an hour a week. Mm-hmm. They just liked four, maybe because it kind of rhymes with 40 or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know why. But the book is not about a four-hour work week. If you read the book, you'll see nowhere in the book does it mention four hours. Uh-huh. It doesn't say this uh-huh. takes three uh-huh. minutes, this takes 19 minutes. Right. You add it all, so it comes true. to four hours. <laughs> and nothing. The book right. isn't about that. Right. And so often the title comes afterwards. Often. In fact, gotcha. my friend Jack Canfield had most of the stories of a book done before the title Chicken Soup for the Soul came uh-huh. to him in a shower. Oh, is that right? Yeah. He didn't know huh. what to call it. Yeah. He just got the idea uh-huh. because he's on stage so much like I am. People come up to him and tell him the most amazing stories. Mm-hmm. He said, I should put these stories together. Mm-hmm. So he put them together, but he didn't know what to call it. And a lot of his friends are Jewish. So, you know, chicken soup is in his vocabulary. Every, every Jewish mother gives chicken soup <laughs> to their children to cure any ailment. Right, right. And so it just yeah. came to him, chicken yeah. soup for the soul. And then it became wildly famous because of him. But right. often the titles came after. After. So, for example, yeah, yeah. Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. Why is it called Gulliver's Travels? The name hmm. Gulliver is not in the book. Oh. You can read the book as many times oh, as you want. Oh, I never realized that. Gulliver's not in there. And the I famous never book, realized that. I know. And the book Death of a Salesman, one of yes. the famous books, yep, yep, yep. never says that he sells anything. And it never says what he sells. He doesn't actually say that he's a salesman in the book. It just says it on the cover. So the titles <laughs> often come afterwards. Okay. What about the cover? Did that cover? The cover was, was uh, the cover is the publisher's domain. Okay, because Got it. the publisher puts up the risk and the money of printing the book. Mm-hmm. They have to be in charge of the cover. Celebration after that book was done. How do you celebrate? And even after you complete a goal, how do you celebrate? What I found is that the wealthier the people are, the more they acknowledge others all the time, and the more that other, the more that their wealthy friends acknowledge them. I get acknowledged so much, and I acknowledge other people so much, 
that when I finish a book, finish a tough math problem, learn how to ride a unicycle, race to the North Pole, mm-hmm. which I've done, <laughs> I, wh- whatever I do, I get so much acknowledgement that, that I get an automatic celebration. Mm-hmm. And my biggest secret for your listeners is it's really junior to acknowledge somebody for what they did. It's really junior. If you pass me ketchup and I say, thanks for passing the ketchup, if you babysit my kids on short notice, then when I come back, I say, thanks for babysitting the kids. The senior acknowledgement is acknowledging somebody for who they are. If a junior acknowledgement to you, for example, would be, yeah. Wow, you're a really good interviewer. I really liked the questions that you asked. They're really interesting. Thank you. A senior acknowledgement is, I love the heart that you displayed. It, you, you really wanted to pull these ideas out of me. And when I said something clever, your whole face lit up. I, I, the, who you are, is you're such an excited, powerful, charismatic person. I love that about you. That you can feel that's deeper than acknowledging somebody for what they do. So in the be, do, have, you can acknowledge somebody for what they have. That's a really nice car. That's the most junior. Then do acknowledge somebody for what they do. That's a little more senior. But acknowledge somebody for what they are, what they be, that's the most, most, most senior. Because you're acknowledging their spirit. Yeah. So think of the be, do, have. Be acknowledging somebody for who they be. Not who they do, and certainly not what they have. Wow, you have a great car. You know, yes. big deal. Would you mind sharing a short tip or short step-by-step process that will be beneficial to someone who hasn't yet finished the book? My advice is get advice. Ah, find a mentor. Nice. Find a coach. Nice. I've helped 3,000 people in the process of writing their book. Wow. And their book is powerful. What are you excited about working on next? <laughs> I've just started a brand new thing. I'm mm-hmm. 71 years old, and I okay. just started something new. Yes. I just launched an annual cruise ship retreat. Ooh. An annual <laughs> cruise ship retreat. And in my first year, mm-hmm. I sold 130 passengers. Whoa. Onto a cruise ship. Oh, nice. I've never done it before. Wow. And partway <laughs> in, I was informed by a lawyer that what I was doing was illegal because I can't sell travel without being a travel agent. So I immediately contacted the government and I found out what you have to do to be a travel agent. I became a travel agent just so I could obey the rules. Like I wasn't trying to break the rules. Right. right. I just didn't know the rules. So I quickly became a travel agent. And and I'm holding my first annual one next month. I'm so excited in the Caribbean. Yeah. And tomorrow I'm working with my travel agent to book next year's because mm. I want to I want to do it annually and yes. I'm I'm looking forward to having 250 in next year's nice. and I'm just going nuts I'm I'm supposedly a senior citizen <laughs> all my <laughs> physics professor friends since I'm 71 retired six years ago and they're yeah. playing some stupid game of golf somewhere <laughs> and I'm coming up with new ideas all the time and having so much fun excellent I mean is it a special special type of occasion cruise or is it just I'm going to be teaching, okay, and okay. it's going to be on how to use the spiritual principles to create what you want in the physical universe. Uh, so what a lot of people do with spiritual principles is they use them to get better spiritually. Okay. So they'll say, Om, right. and that's a spiritual principle that makes you feel better spiritually. So you do something in the spiritual world to help you spiritually. That's not what I want. I want to teach them how to do something spiritually that will have positive, actual touchable results like i'm Mm. I'm touching your shoulder right now like physical 
results in the physical universe. You do something spiritually, it makes you money in the mm. physical universe. That's that's what I love doing. Is there something you'd like to offer the listeners? Yeah, we've been talking about writing a book. Yes. And I have a program called 101010 and it stands for you write a book of 10 chapters of your own words mm-hmm. in 10 hours of your own time. Honestly, 10 oh, hours. 10 hours. Okay. 10 hours of your own time and be holding the finished published physical book in your hand in 10 weeks. But if they go to 101010program.com Okay. And let me spell it. 10 is the number 10. 10 zero dash, mm-hmm. one zero dash, one zero program. So it's 10 dash 10 dash 10 program.com. They go there. They can read all about my program. They can purchase it if they want, but there's no obligation. If they hmm. wish to get a download of the book we've been talking about, Top right. of Your Income, Doing What You Let, yes. they can go to Amazon and buy it. But if they go to my website, they can mm-hmm. download it for free. Nice. And that's, that's Aaron.com. That's my name, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, A-A-R-O-N.com. And when you go to Aaron.com, mm-hmm. at the top right, you'll see download Raymond's book for free, double your income, doing what you love. No charge. For, for free? Yeah. Or go to Amazon and buy it. But go to my right. website and get it for free. <laughs> wow. Wow. Do y'all hear that? This, this awesome value. I mean, you heard at the beginning of the show... Just one of the principles. How many are there again? Twenty one. Yeah, MTO is one of the one of the secrets, but you get all twenty one in the book. Okay. I'm gonna tell them my favorite quote. And my favorite quote. My favorite quote is snowmen fall to earth unassembled. And what that means to me is, you don't know what snow is in California, but maybe you've read about it. (laughs) I I grew up in Chicago. Did you? Okay, good. (laughs) So everyone can see snowflakes when it's snowing. But people with vision can see a snowman. And so most people just see the snow and they stop there. Oh, it is snowing. Some people see through the snow to negativity. I've got to shovel the sidewalk. I'm going to hurt my back. And some people see through the snow to what positive they can create from it. That's what I do. That's what Sir Richard Branson does. That's what Elon Musk does. That's what Steve Steve Jobs did. Mm -hmm. We see through the snow to the snowman. So snowmen fall to earth on the sun. You get it now? I get it. I get it. I know. You I love me. It. I do. I, I love you, man. You are hot. The you are so much fun. Wow. I do not. When you said you wanted a half hour to be, I said, oh, man, I'll give him a quarter of an hour. Now I don't want it to stop. <laughs> this has been great. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. Thank you for finishing your book, Raymond, and thank you for sharing your message and your advice with the world. For a quick review of what was covered in this episode, visit the show notes at pleasefinishyourbook.com slash 007. Take it away, Erica. Did you learn enough to help you take the next step toward finishing your book? If so, share the show and let us know by visiting pleasefinishyourbook.com and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Hashtag please finish your book. 